the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider, a Christmas weekend edition. I hope your Christmas was happy, joy-filled, and healthy, and that you were, and perhaps still are, surrounded by family and friends and love and laughter. EWTN staff has a few days off at this time of year, so the new segment of Vatican Insider will only feature events through Wednesday, December 22nd. In addition, in place of an interview segment, I have a very special treat. I'm going to read Pope St. John Paul's 1994 Christmas Message to Children, occasioned by the 1994 Year of the Family. If you are a child or a parent, grandparent, aunt, or uncle, and have small children near you, this is for you. I knew this wonderful Pope when I worked at the Vatican for many years, and his love for families, for little children, and for youth was powerful and beautiful, just like his letter. You might want to gather around your nativity scene as I read this. Now, some of the news highlights of the last few days. Sunday, December 19th, a very busy day for the Pope that began in the morning in the Paul VI Hall during a joyful meeting with the children assisted by the Vatican's Santa Marta Pediatric Dispensary. Interacting spontaneously with the families who receive assistance and care from the dispensary, Pope Francis told them it's important to listen to the needs of the people, and he asked the kids to repeat this invitation in chorus. The Santa Marta Pediatric Dispensary was born amid the hardships that followed the end of World War I. It started on May 8, 1922, by Pope Pius XI, who entrusted it to the Sisters of the Daughters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul to take charge of feeding the poor children and the children of the war. In July 2008, Pope Benedict XVI made it a foundation with its own statutes. Currently, Cardinal Conrad Krajewski, the papal almoner or almsgiver who heads the Office of Papal Charities, is the foundation's president. Today, the doctors of Rome's Bambin Gesù Pediatric Hospital, the Saints Peter and Paul Association, and private and other hospitals of the city, together with lay volunteers, offer free service to the dispensary that will mark its centenary next year, 2022. At the Angelus Sunday, Pope Francis greeted pilgrims in St. Peter's Square on this fourth Sunday of Advent, and he encouraged them to arise and to go in haste towards Christmas. He was referring to the day's Gospel reading that recounts Mary's trip to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was also pregnant, as a response to an inner impulse calling her to be close and help her. He said in this way, Mary gave Elizabeth the joy of Jesus, the joy she carried in her heart and in her womb, and this was proclaimed in her Magnificat. In a similar way, he says we can reach out in generosity towards others and bring the joy of Jesus, as Mary did with Elizabeth. In Post Angelus remarks, Pope Francis asked for prayers and assistance for victims of a powerful typhoon that caused many deaths and devastated southern and central island provinces in the Philippines. Also Sunday, the Milan campus of the Catholic University of the Sacred Heart began its academic year on Sunday in the presence of Ursula von der Leyen, president of the European Commission. 
As the university marks its centenary this year, Pope Francis joined staff and students via a video message. He said a university brings people together toward one, one place, one time, one spirit. Sacred Heart University also reflects, he said, the virtue of hope, because it offers an integral education based on solidarity. Education is, above all, relationship, a relationship between teachers and students, and then of students among themselves, a community of people open to reality and to others. Also Sunday, during an evening broadcast by Italy's Mediaset Network, filmed earlier at the Santa Marta residence, Pope Francis addressed various themes on modern-day issues, including violence, poverty, the consequences of the pandemic, and the lives of those in prison. The dialogue and conversation took place with four people described as, quote, the invisible ones of society, those often forgotten and marginalized, facing great difficulties and life's challenges. Italian journalist Fabio Marchesi Ragona, who covers the Vatican for Mediaset, coordinated the encounter that included a mother by the name of Giovanna, who lost her job and struggles with violence in her family, Maria, a homeless woman, Maristella, an 18-year-old scout whose youthful joy has been lost due to the pandemic, and Pier Donato, who served 25 years in prison. Tuesday, December 21st. At a press conference presided over by Cardinal Peter Turkson, President of the Dicastery for Integral Human Development, Pope Francis's message for the 55th World Day of Peace was presented. This World Day is always marked on January 1st. Francis pointed to three paths for building a lasting peace. Dialogue between generations, education, and work. He called on all men and women of goodwill, on government leaders, and on decision-makers to walk together with courage and creativity on the path of intergenerational dialogue, education, and work. Introducing his message, the Pope noted that the path of peace continues to remain sadly distant from the real lives of many men and women. Citing the intensification of wars and conflicts, climate change and environmental degradation, an individualistic economy model, and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, the cry of the poor and the cry of the earth, he wrote, constantly make themselves heard, pleading for justice and peace. Wednesday, December 22nd, lots of news. There's the general audience at which Pope Francis spoke of Christmas and reflected on the birth of Christ, an event that history cannot dispense with. Recalling the familiar figures of Mary and Joseph in the stable at Bethlehem, the humble shepherds, and the rich and powerful magi from the east, the Pope explained, quote, The message of the gospel is clear. The birth of Jesus is a universal event that concerns all of humanity. Christmas is the premier occasion to adore the Son of God. At 7.50 a.m. before the general audience, Pope Francis met Metropolitan Hilarion Alfeyev of Volokolamsk. Alfeyev is a bishop of the Russian Orthodox Church, chairman of the Department of External Church Relations, and a permanent member of the Holy Synod of the Patriarchate of Moscow. The Holy Father thanked Metropolitan Hilarion for his 85th birthday greetings expressed on behalf of Patriarch Kirill. They met for about one hour. Also Wednesday, 
Two documents were released by Vatican offices, by the Pontifical Academy for Life on pandemic and challenges for education, children and adolescents dealing with COVID-19, and by the Dicastery for Development and the COVID-19 Vatican Commission, their document entitled Children and COVID-19. A note issued by the press office said that in view of these documents, quote, it seems appropriate to reaffirm the favorable position of the Holy See to vaccines. The Holy Father defined vaccination an act of love since it is aimed at protection of people against COVID-19. In addition, says the statement, he recently reiterated the need for the international community to intensify further cooperation efforts so that all will have quick access to vaccines, not as a matter of convenience, but of justice. Well, those are the news highlights, but stay right here for my special, my gift to children everywhere, as I read Pope St. John Paul's Christmas message to children. Welcome to the Q&A, which this week is, when do we pray the Angelus, and when do we recite the Regina Chaley, Queen of Heaven? Well, both prayers, if faithfully recited according to tradition, are said every day at 6 a.m., 12 noon, and 6 p.m. The Regina Chaley is recited during the Easter season, also known as Easter time or Paschaltide, that runs from Easter Sunday to and including Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. The Angelus is recited the rest of the year. Now, the history of both prayers, origin and development, is not clear. We know that praying the Angelus was a practice that began to follow the Liturgy of the Hours, originally, it seems, by saying three Hail Marys. For many years there was great devotion among the faithful, but now we associate both of these more or less with popes as they recite them publicly on Sundays. Saints are the heroes of the Catholic faith. They serve as examples for all Catholics, showing us how to lead a more satisfying, more spiritual life in communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. View our comprehensive documentation of saints who serve as theologians and doctors of the church. It's easy. Visit EWTN.com and click Catholicism. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Hi, this is Dave Vashers, president of Annunciation Radio. The scripture says, when the word of God goes out, it doesn't return void, but accomplishes that for which it was sent. We regularly hear from individuals whose lives have been dramatically changed as a result of listening to Catholic Radio. Tell a family member, tell a friend, tell the whole world. Change your station, and it'll change your life. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. Prayer is a variety of forms of communication. Sometimes we simply greet one another, hi, how are you? And we say small, short prayers similarly to God. Other times we engage people in deep conversations. Other times we engage our families and family reunions and big meals. Similarly with God, we engage Him in Eucharist and deep meditation as well. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. In place of an interview today, I have a very special treat. 
I'm going to read Pope St. John Paul's 1994 Christmas message to children, occasioned by the 1994 Year of the Family. If you are a child, or a parent, grandparent, aunt, or uncle, and have small children near you, this is for you. I knew this wonderful Pope when I worked at the Vatican for many years, and his love for families, for little children, and for youth was powerful and beautiful, just like this letter. I've shortened it a little for time considerations. May I first, however, wish you a blessed Christmas and a happy, healthy, and joy-filled 2022. By the way, you might want to gather around your nativity scene as I read this. Jesus is born, starts the Holy Father. In a few days, we will celebrate Christmas, the holy day that is so full of meaning for all children in every family. This year, it will be even more so because 1994 is the year of the family. Before the year of the family ends, I want to write to you, the children of the whole world, and to share with you in the joy of this happy time of year. Christmas is the feast day of a child, of a newborn baby, so this is your feast day too. You wait patiently for it and get ready for it with joy, counting the days and even the hours to the holy night of Bethlehem. I can almost see you. You are setting up the crib at home, in the parish, in every corner of the world, recreating the surroundings and the atmosphere in which the Savior was born. Yes, it is true. At Christmas time, the stable and the manger take center place in the church, and everyone hurries to go there to make a spiritual pilgrimage like the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. Later, it will be the Magi arriving from the distant east, following the star to the place where the Redeemer of the universe lay. You too, during the days of Christmas, visit the cribs, stopping to look at the child lying in the hay. You look at his mother, and you look at St. Joseph, the Redeemer's guardian. As you look at the Holy Family, you think of your own family, the family in which you came into the world. You think of your mother who gave you birth, and of your father. Both of them provide for the family and for your upbringing, for it is the parent's duty not only to have children, but also to bring them up from the moment of their birth. Dear children, as I write to you, I am thinking of when, many years ago, I was a child like you. I, too, used to experience the peaceful feelings of Christmas, and when the star of Bethlehem shone, I would hurry to the crib together with the other boys and girls to relive what happened 2,000 years ago in Palestine. We children expressed our joy mostly in song. How beautiful and moving are the Christmas carols that in the tradition of every people are sung around the crib. What deep thoughts they contain, and above all, what joy and tenderness they express about the divine child who came into the world that holy night. The days that follow the birth of Jesus are also feast days. So eight days afterward, according to the Old Testament tradition, the child was given a name. He was called Jesus. Then, after forty days, we commemorate his presentation in the temple, like every other firstborn son of Israel. On that occasion, an extraordinary meeting took place. Mary, when she arrived in the temple with the child, was met by the old man Simeon, who took the baby Jesus in his arms and spoke these prophetic words, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory to your people Israel. Then, speaking to his mother Mary, Simeon added, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is spoken against, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that thoughts out of many hearts may be revealed. So already in the first days of Jesus' life we heard the foretelling of the Passion that will one day include his mother Mary too. On Good Friday she will stand silently by the cross of her son. Also, not much time will pass after his birth before the baby Jesus finds himself facing a grave danger. The cruel king Herod will order all the children under the age of two years to be killed, and for this reason Jesus will be forced to flee with his parents into Egypt. You certainly know all these events connected with the birth of Jesus. They are told to you by your parents and by priests, teachers, and catechists. And each year you relive them spiritually at Christmas time together with the whole church. So you know about these dramatic aspects of Jesus' infancy. Dear friends, in what happened to the child of Bethlehem, you can recognize what happens to children throughout the world. It is true that a child represents the joy not only of its parents but also the joy of the church and the whole of society. But it's also true that in our days, unfortunately, many children in different parts of the world are suffering and being threatened. They are hungry and poor. They are dying from diseases and malnutrition. They are the victims of war. They are abandoned by their parents and condemned to remain without a home. Without the warmth of a family of their own, they suffer many forms of violence and arrogance from grown-ups. How can we not care when we see the suffering of so many children, especially when the suffering is in some way caused by grown-ups? The child whom we see in the manger at Christmas grew up as the years passed. When he was twelve years old, as you know, he went for the first time with Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. There, in the crowd of pilgrims, he was separated from his parents, and with other boys and girls of his own age, he stopped to listen to the teachers in the temple for a sort of catechism lesson. The holidays were good opportunities for handing on the faith to children who were about the same age as Jesus. But on this occasion, it happened that this extraordinary boy who had come from Nazareth not only asked very intelligent questions, but also started to give profound answers to those who were teaching him. The questions, and even more the answers, astonished the temple teachers. It was the same amazement that later on would mark Jesus' public preaching. The episode in the Temple of Jerusalem was simply the beginning, and a kind of foreshadowing of what would come later years. Dear boys and girls who are the same age as 12-year-old Jesus, are you not reminded now of the religion lessons in the parish and at school, lessons that you are invited to take part in? So I'd like to ask you some questions. What do you think of your religion classes? Do you become involved like the 12-year-old Jesus in the temple? Do you regularly go to these lessons at school and in the parish? Do your parents help you to do so? The twelve-year-old Jesus became so interested in the religion lesson in the Temple of Jerusalem that, in a sense, he even forgot about his own parents, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, having started off on a journey back to Nazareth with other pilgrims, soon realized Jesus was not with them. They searched hard for him. They went back, and only on the third day did they find him in Jerusalem in the temple. 
Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. How strange is Jesus' answer, and how it makes us stop and think. How is it that you sought me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? This was a difficult answer to accept. The evangelist Luke simply adds that Mary, quote, kept all these things in her heart. In fact, it was an answer that would be understood only later when Jesus, as a grown-up, began to preach and say for his heavenly Father he was ready to face any sufferings and even death on the cross. From Jerusalem, Jesus went back with Mary and Joseph to Nazareth, where he was obedient to them. Regarding this period before his public preaching began, the Gospel notes only that, quote, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Dear children, in the child whom you look at in the crib, you must try to also see the twelve-year-old boy in the temple in Jerusalem, talking with the teachers. He's the same grown man who later, at thirty years old, will begin to preach the word of God, will choose the twelve apostles, will be followed by crowds thirsting for the truth. At every step he will confirm his extraordinary teaching with signs of divine power. He will give sight to the blind, heal the sick, even raise the dead. And among the dead whom he will bring back to life, there will be the twelve-year-old daughter of Jairus and the son of the widow of Naim, given back alive to his weeping mother. It is really true. This child, now just born, once he is grown up as teacher of divine truth, will show an extraordinary love for children. He will say to the apostles, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them. And he will add, For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Another time, as the apostles are arguing about who is the greatest, he will put a child in front of them and say, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. On the occasion, he also spoke harsh words of warning. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. How important children are in the eyes of Jesus. We could even say that the gospel is full of the truth about children. The whole of the gospel could actually be read as, quote, the gospel of children. So what does it mean that, unless you turn and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven? Is not Jesus pointing to children as models even for grown-ups? In children, there is something that must never be missing in people who want to enter the kingdom of heaven. People who are destined to go to heaven are simple like children, and like children are full of trust, rich in goodness and pure. Only people of this sort can find in God a father, and thanks to Jesus, can become in their own turn children of God. Is not this the main message of Christmas? We read in St. John, quote, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And again, quote, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Children of God, Yes, dear children, you are sons and daughters of your parents. God wants us all to become his adopted children by grace. And here we have the real reason for Christmas joy, the joy I am writing to you about at the end of this year of the family. Be happy in this gospel of divine sonship. Dear friends, 
There is no doubt that an unforgettable meeting with Jesus is First Holy Communion, a day to be remembered as one of life's most beautiful. The Eucharist, instituted by Christ at the Last Supper on the night before his Passion, is a sacrament of the New Covenant, rather the greatest of the sacraments. In this sacrament, the Lord becomes food for the soul under the appearances of bread and wine. Children receive this sacrament solemnly a first time in First Holy Communion and are encouraged to receive it afterward as often as possible in order to remain in close friendship with Jesus. To be able to receive Holy Communion, as you know, it's necessary to have received baptism. This is the first of all the sacraments and the one most necessary for salvation. Baptism is a great event. In the Church's first centuries, when baptism was received mostly by grown-ups, the ceremony ended with receiving the Eucharist and was as solemn as First Holy Communion is today. Later on, when baptism began to be given mainly to newborn babies, and this is the case of many of you, dear children, so that, in fact, you don't remember the day of your baptism. The more solemn celebration was transferred to the moment of First Holy Communion. Every boy and every girl belonging to a Catholic family knows all about this custom. First Holy Communion is a great family celebration. On that day, together with the one making his or her First Communion, the parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, godparents, and sometimes even the instructors and teachers generally receive the Eucharist. The day of First Holy Communion is also a great day of celebration in the parish. I remember as though it was yesterday, when together with the other boys and girls of my own age, said Pope John Paul, I received the Eucharist for the first time in the parish church of my town. As we end this letter, dear boys and girls, let me recall the words of a psalm that have always moved me. Praise, O children of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, may the name of the Lord be praised. As I meditate on the words of this psalm, the faces of all the world's children pass before my eyes, from the east to the west, from the north to the south. It is to you, young friends, without distinction of language, race, or nationality, that I say, praise the name of the Lord. The highly favored Son of God becomes present among us as a newborn baby. Gathered around him, the children of every nation on earth feel his eyes upon them, eyes full of the Heavenly Father's love, and they rejoice because God loves them. He loves you. What joy is greater than the joy brought by love? What joy is greater than the joy which you, O Jesus, bring at Christmas to people's hearts, and especially to the hearts of children? Raise your tiny hand, divine child, and bless these young friends of yours. Bless the children of all the earth. Thus ends the Christmas letter to children by Pope St. John Paul II. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.